his persona and hers are both so rigorously unoffensive. It's like being against literally like the football player and the cheerleader. Hello, I'm Adrian Dobb. And I'm Moira Donegan. Whether we like it or not, uh, I lost my train of thought here. Sorry. Um, well, we're in bed with the right. That's what it is. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, so background is, um, fun fact about me, I'm functioning on three hours of sleep and I've just run after uh, 20 very sweet but very energetic toddlers for three hours. So my brain is fried. And Moira's like, let us please jump on the on the recording right now and capture this comedy gold. This is amazing. Adrian is usually one of the most uh, like put together, competent, responsible people in the room, uh, which is why I am just really uh, delighted to see him finally weak enough <laughs> for to be defeated I, by my I, powers. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think you, I think you give me too much credit, but I do acknowledge that I'm not usually I'm I'm an unusual state of trash fire today and so uh let's fucking do this what's our and I should say that this is a topic that you know like podcast hosts love being like oh I kept myself pure for the episode like I really don't know very much about this I've absorbed all this second hand and you're gonna walk me through it and I have every every suspicion that is gonna be stupid as all get out but I, I don't know the details like this is pretty stupid. And what we're talking about today is kind of a profound trash fire, even by the standards of right-wing gender politics, because today we are talking about the conservative commentariat's decision to antagonize and advance conspiracy theories about a little lady named Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. So have you heard of Taylor Swift? So you I know have of heard Taylor of Swift? her. I have, I've been told that, um, you know, haters are going to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> but she prefers to shake, shake, shake. So I'm guessing it sounds, sounds like she has a lot to shake off right now. I also believe it involves a man that everyone seems to know and I do not, from which I deduce that he's a sports person of some kind. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be hilarious because... A lot of this story is based on the interior politics of the National Football League, which is something that neither Adrian or I know anything about. So let's set the scene a little bit. Taylor Swift, in case you haven't heard of her, she's probably the most famous person in the world. Mm. I'd say, you know, Sorry, it's not not ringing a bell. (laughs) (laughs) You know, she's one of the last items of monoculture. You know, it's like her... It's Beyonce and, you know, it's like literally Joe Biden. Like those are maybe the three human beings who everybody in the world more or less knows who they are. And Taylor Swift is coming off of a very, very big year. The Eras Tour. Yes. She uh, put on this massive worldwide tour. I think it's technically still going on in which she uh, sort of played a concert that composed her entire catalog, which is at this point about a 15 or 20 year career. And she, you know, was performing to like 70,000 people per night in the United States. She is wildly, wildly popular. She's a pop musician and, you know, she is kind of famous for dating. Uh, she dates, uh, has dated many millennial and Gen X male celebrities. Yeah. And then often wrote in songs about them, right? That's the other thing she's yes, famous Yes. Yes. She's also, she is a mega star who unusually for somebody as famous as she is, she tends to write most of her songs herself. And she has cultivated her fame by like creating this persona in her music that is very first person driven in which she sort of like divulges like kind of an unusual amount about the you know interior experience of her celebrity life right i was trying to think of how i would characterize her music and it's a lot like there's a lot of jokes in it it's like kind of got a posture of self-deprecating knowing humor a lot which makes her very different from somebody like beyonce whose affect is very very different right right? in approach to um like sort of her relationship with her audience. Right. I would say, yeah, a typical Beyonce song has the subtext, fuck you, I'm awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, and Taylor Swift is more like, this may have partly been my fault that this thing fell apart. Like I think of that, I know that song Blank Page, right, where like she basically seems to suggest that 
she she may be at fault at, at some relationships not working out. Yes, she's very self-conscious uh, or performs self-consciousness a lot. A lot of self-deprecating humor. It kind of reminds me of like a voiceover sitcom oh. a little bit. Remember like Malcolm in the Middle or like there would right. be like... Uh, fresh off the boat. Yes, yes. And there's a... It's kind of like that because her songs are also quite... I should preface this that I like Taylor Swift. This is somebody who like tends to attract a lot of ire just because of how famous she is. I like her music. I think it's fun. But like she does have like four songs. And they're sort of episodic and they're structured the same way. Uh, and they sort of repeat and she'll like fill in these templates and make a new song. And it reminds me of a sitcom that way. It's like it's kind of the same uh-huh. 30 minutes once a week, but it's three minutes and she comes out with like one album every year. So that's Taylor Swift, mega star, mega famous. And what she really is, because she is so famous, because she is a monoculture, because she is something that is consumed really by women, but by more or less every woman in America, she has become a stand-in for white womanhood itself, right? That's what we have to like understand about Taylor Swift. I also have a thing about Taylor Swift because she and I are the exact same age almost to the day. Oh my God. Yes. She, Taylor Swift and I are exactly contemporaries. And Joint birthday party. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't like pointing this out because, you know, I think Taylor Swift might be doing a little bit better. <laughs> so I would prefer if she had had a little bit of time. But hey, not everybody. I mean, half of America is not mad at. Oh, wait, no. Half of America <laughs> is also mad at you. So it's scra- Scratch that. Scratch yeah, that. I bet she doesn't have a Prius and a studio apartment. So, you know. <laughs> so like that's kind of the background of Taylor Swift. And this was her mega, mega, mega year, right? This is Taylor Swift at the absolute height of her powers. And sort of the other bit of background that you have to know about Taylor Swift is that she has a boyfriend. Adrian, do you know anything about her boyfriend? I don't know how to say his last name, but he's a, he's clearly, his first name is Travis, it sounds like. Is that correct? Yes, the name is Travis How do you say Kels- his last name? Kelsey. Kels. Kelsey, okay. Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. I love this. I love talking about American football with this like beanpole of a German philosophy uh, and literature professor, Adrian Dow. Look, I, no, I mean, like, so I, I noticed, so yeah, so he's clearly, you know, he, I think he, wasn't he on like SNL recently? So like he's he's also having a moment alongside her, it sounds like. And if I'm going to guess, given that we're headed to the Super Bowl, into Super Bowl Sunday, he's plays for either the 49ers or the is it the Chiefs who are they He playing? plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh-huh. He is a he plays the position he plays is tight end. My favorite. Yeah. <laughs> it does it does sound like kind of dirty, but it uh it is a uh hybrid offensive and defensive position, so it's a very important position on the team. Right. And he is apparently quite good and he is also sort of at the height of his career, right? Right. And he is a guy who has made himself not just an athlete but sort of a media star so travis kelsey right he was on snl right like i actually have no idea if he was on snl or not uh but that's like the kind of thing he would do his main thing is actually that he's a podcaster as in addition to being a oh because the thing you have to know about travis kelsey is that he has a brother whose name is i think justin kelsey who is a few years older and who is also a professional football player so travis kelsey is a tight end for the kansas city chiefs and Justin Kelsey, who I think is retiring this year, is his older brother, uh-huh. who plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. And together, they have made themselves... I remember the Eagles. <laughs> I lived in Philadelphia for a moment. <laughs> together, they've made themselves like a uh, like a funny duo, right? Where they have this podcast where the older brother, Justin, plays the wacky, kind of drunk, like silly guy. And Travis plays the bashful straight man. Taylor Swift broke up with her longtime kind of like sad limp boyfriend like a british guy she was dating for many years at the beginning of 2023 and it had been a long running kind of a bit like a joke on travis kelsey's podcast with his brother that he had a crush on taylor swift oh so it was this like and then she actually wound up they actually wound up going on a date and it was like fun for football fans who had been following travis Kelsey and listening to his podcast with his brother where he's like I have such a crush on Taylor Swift etc and then she actually appears at his game right yeah I mean I have to say so I I think that's very sweet on the other hand like I'm very worried about like 
any tear in the parasocial wall that isolates podcasters from real life. Uh, this is, uh, yeah, that's that's cute every thousandth time, maybe. Yeah, you know, there is a... Um, but in this case, it's cute. Yeah. It, I also feel a little, like, annoyed that a professional athlete has a podcast because I feel like that belongs to those of us who are, like, physically kind of, like, uncoordinated and incapable. I'm like, no, 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 yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. You... You have the ball and the running, and I'm the one who talks for the living. And like this is God has distributed yeah, our gifts yeah. in this way, and it's not fair for you to be on my turf. Um, this is going to be a recurring theme in this episode because there's a few times when people are stealing my lines, right, or like sort of stealing my possession. Oh. So the the two of them become like what we kind of term in media a crossover event right because they are extraordinarily famous people the other thing about travis kelsey is that he is famous for a football player even before he starts dating taylor swift yeah, yeah. he's like he's one of the he's one of the important ones and so what it is basically is a merger of these primarily male and primarily female audiences into this one couple who have just massive, massive, massive market share combined, right? Yeah, it's as if the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Emily in Paris somehow like had a had a crossover. Yeah, it's kind. Of, yeah, <laughs> you're melding two fairly gendered properties. Very gendered properties, right? And also, you know, this leads among football fans to some very interesting emotions, right? So Taylor Swift, like Travis Kelsey is quite famous and quite rich. Taylor Swift is much more so, right? They are both at the right. peak of their fields, but sort of the magnitudes of their fame and their money and their ability to command attention are, are also asymmetrical. And they're asymmetrical in a way that's contrary to what we normally understand as a gendered balance of power in heterosexual relationships, right? It is not the man, but the woman who's more famous. Yeah. Travis Kelsey found like the one woman in the world to date who's more famous than he is. Right. But she starts performing what we can see as like a, a very traditional feminine supportive role, right? She shows that up at his games. She's wearing his jersey. She's quite literally cheering him on, you know, and she's embodying the supportive role. And it feels like in terms of status, like she's slumming it a little bit, right? She's like going from her pedestal as like maybe the most powerful woman on earth, definitely one of the richest women on earth, and is like sort of becoming somebody who's standing by her man. Right? right. She's trying to embody this position where she is not the center of attention right. by cheering him on at the sidelines. But that's not how media incentives work. Uh, that's how heterosexuality works, but that's not how media incentives work. Right. So if you are a Kansas City Chiefs fan who's watching at home, suddenly the Sunday night football camera is cutting to Taylor Swift like every couple minutes, every play, every down. You get to a cut to show her reaction in the box. Oh. Now, I should say I've I've watched a fair amount of f football matches in my life, but I I've never really paid attention to how they're put together. It's a sport with relatively few audience cutaways to begin with, right? I mean, like there it tends to be kind of focused on what's because it's such an incredibly busy field. I feel like I've, I see a lot more cutaways to audience reactions for things like baseball because, like, honestly, there's 30 seconds you can waste anyway. Is, is that right? So, like, basically, it's also, like, an unusual presentation for a football game? Or would you say there are cutaways? I feel like at the very end, you sometimes see the owner's box where everyone is, like, starting to, like, spray each other with champagne or something like that. Or, like, Mark Cuban will be sitting somewhere and, like, you know, be, like, either upset or happy or something like that. But, like, sort of, like... Person on the street cutaways, is that a common thing in football? It depends. I will say for when there are celebrities in the stands, huh. that happens more. But like the the famous courtside pictures are always basketball, right? Like it's like, oh, here's Al Pacino sitting with Jake Gyllenhaal like at the Nets game or something like that, right? Like that, that'll be because they're right there. There's also a, a, the fact that football is a sport played in the winter outdoors. Right. So I think it tends to attract you know when when celebrities go to football games and they do but they are in boxes right. that are farther away from the actual players whereas a celebrity at a basketball game is right next to the player oh, US Open, on the court right? as like, jack nicholson yes yeah. exactly so that's one factor but and and but you know they do they do cut away okay. an arrowhead field where the kansas city chiefs their sort of home stadium they have a Tradition wherein the crowd 
specifically tries to like jeer and scream and make a lot of noise while the opposing team is trying to strategize while they're on the line so the opposing team can't hear what they're trying to say to each other. So that winds up being a frequent cut in these broadcasts, specifically in Kansas City. They cut away to the crowd who are all making this loud noise to try and throw the game towards their chiefs. But, you know, this is kind of a situation in which football fans who I'm going to use as a shorthand, like they're men, overwhelmingly they're men. Like women watch football. Football is a massive American cultural product. But the National Football League considers itself by and for men, right? Right. And they understand men as their primary viewership and men understand themselves as the primary consumers of football, right? Now, football has women in and around it. The sort of like wags characters are, you know, they're famous in like British soccer, but they're also a fixture of um, American football and basketball. They tend to be not very like professionally high status women in their own right, right? Like a wag will be somebody who is a college athlete with the, you know, the guy from the Eagles or actually one of the Eagles was married to a prominent member of the women's national soccer team for a while. But that, you know, I think he retired. I think they both retired. But, you know, there was there's status asymmetry between these men and their wives. It is very typical. And so those wives command sort of less attention and then there are cheerleaders who are like purely ornamental and in fact are often, we know from some investigative reporting, like the subject of sex trafficking, right? right? Uh, so like those are women whose status is unquestionably lower than the players and like by sort of proxy that's lower than the audience, right? And what Taylor Swift's relationship to Cav- Travis Kelsey did was inject a higher status woman into this male space mm. where she is commanding attention. She's also bringing like a lot of young girl fans to football because the like little girls, especially like Gen Alpha, like I'm talking like girls in high school and younger have started to watch Kansas City Chiefs games so that they can see Taylor Swift and see Taylor Swift's boyfriend play, which also means that there's an injection into the fandom. The number of TikToks recorded in uh, Western Missouri just like shot through the roof. Yeah. Like, you know, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm assuming that Arrowhead Stadium is in Missouri, in, is in the Missouri part of I believe Kansas it's Can- City? Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. Um, right, right. Okay. I would, so don't quote me on see. that. But I think it's more like, you know, the guy, you know, I'm a, I'm a white man and I'm watching my football on Sunday. And now it used to just sort of be this me time or time I spent with my white man friends. And now my like nine year old daughter is at my elbow and she won't shut the fuck up. And it's annoying. I think that's kind of what's happening. Right. So there is like a substrata of anti-Taylor Swift resentment among this kind of white leaning, right leaning sector of American men who are football fans, right? But for the most part, and I need to emphasize this, like it's a very wholesome story that people are pretty pleased about, right? Like these are good-looking people who are very successful and seem to like each other, and that is wholesome. And then it gets weird. Yeah, I think this is the part, this is where I started taking note. I was like... (laughs) Um, so like, there's kind of like a substrata of like misogynist resentment about this, but it's really not the main thrust of this celebrity gossip story, right? The main thrust of the celebrity gossip story is like, isn't this cute? Most people are being normal about it. And then the right wing sort of has a, has a, like a flicker, like you see like in a movie, like a scary movie when things go wrong and you see like the TV screen sort of like cuts out to static a little bit. Right. So a couple of weeks ago. Fox News host Jesse Waters starts talking about uh, Taylor Swift. Friend of the pod. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, a meaning a huge piece of shit. Uh, anyway. Jesse Waters speculates that maybe Taylor Swift is, I'm quoting here, a Pentagon asset. Yes, a PSYOP or something like that. I, this is what first drew my attention to this. I was like, I'm not a big football watcher. I am not a, a big part of the Taylor Swift cinematic universe. I am, however, an inveterate collector of the most insane shit Fox News says. So this came on my radar. I was like, oh. So this is where um, I enter the story. Yes, go on. Yeah, so that's that's Jesse Waters as Fox News. There's also weird comments from Jack Posobiec. I might be pronouncing his name. Yeah, I don't know how, how to say, say his name. But yeah, that's a, that takes me back. 
that guy where has that guy been i'm, I'm he i'm not uh, happy he's working but like he, i, he, he I think he's self-employed he's got like a podcast he's got like a youtube show he's in this sort of like right he was sort of an early sort of like one of those like the semi-celebrity white nationalist yeah. that sort of popped up sort of around the unite the right rally in 2017 and then kind of disappeared again right he was like he's of the milo yanopoulos wave where like the new york times couldn't fucking stop sticking a microphone in his face until they suddenly stopped doing it or something like that. Yeah. Is that right? That's he's sort like of an he falls, right? alt-right, uh, like TV guy. He does like YouTube. He does like news maxi things. And he's got, uh, oh, not Newsmax, excuse me. I just looked it up. It's O-A-N-N. Uh, O-A-N-N. Yeah, yeah. He's a uh, turning point guy. Looks like he's got a think tank position. You know, he's like one of these cranks. According to Wikipedia, it's pronounced Pasobic. Pasobic. Yeah, I guess. Okay, I guess I can I can do him the courtesy of getting his name right. Pasobic. I mean, no, please don't. No, I mean no. you can do you can get it right while you say that he's like a racist. Also, that asshole. we can avoid it. <laughs> yeah. It's um, like it's like uh, what's that woman's name? T- Tommy Tom- Tommy Loren, whose name you're never supposed to get right. <laughs> But Jack Posobiec recently went on, he was interviewing Roseanne Barr for some reason. Oh my God. It's like a 2016 reunion. And he speculated that the Democratic Party and, you know, the nefarious, ill-defined forces of the deep state were going to try and use Taylor Swift as an asset in uh, the 2024 election. Right. And then that was sort of picked up again by Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, the erstwhile presidential yeah. candidate and conspiracy theorist who right. speculated, I wonder who's going to win the Super Bowl next month. He said this in January. And I wonder if there's a major political endorsement coming from an artificially culturally propped up couple this fall. Just some wild speculation over here. Let's see how it ages over the next eight months. Uh, so age as well as your candidacy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's. I'm not a fan of the word "cuck." I think it like you know it reinscribes a bunch of horrible gendered you know uh, stereotypes. On the other hand, like if ever there was a person that it was appropriate for, it's Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm sorry. I mean, it's just, he he did the kind of thing that a lot of these guys are doing, where he tried to be sort of like diet Trump. But I don't think Vivek Ramaswamy was ever really running for president. I think he was running to get. Uh, more Onto attention. Like yeah, Max, I think he was, yeah. he was like running for more YouTube subscribers, right? Yeah, yeah. And he is now responding to those incentives by saying a lot of crazy shit, right? Yeah, but um, yeah. so like this sort of vibe that Taylor Swift is an asset for Biden, that perhaps she is even in the more conspiratorial forms of this being like controlled by the Biden campaign in the deep state. Right. George Soros, I'm guessing, is somewhere in the background. He's got to be somewhere in there. Yeah, he's always he's a, a recurring figure like Forrest Gump. He's just everywhere in history. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's kind of a recurring theme. And it should be said that like Taylor Swift, for as anodyne a figure as she is, she is not a person who is like very strictly apolitical, right? Yeah. Right. Like she, she I sort of picked up on her having vaguely progressive politics right yes or she's not she's not cool with reactionaries i guess is another way of putting that she's she's a human being well this is a little bit of taylor swift lore that i can fill you in on which is that when Ah, taylor swift and i uh, were in our mid-20s the far right sort of latched onto taylor swift the alt-right uh that was ascendant right around the 2016 election around like unite the right kind of vibe they started proposing her as their like aryan princess right i mean fair enough she looks uh yeah she, she is a uh she is a blonde haired blue-eyed exceptionally light white woman she's like weirdly tall she's like 510 or 511 or something oh. and she's skinny as a rail and she's very beautiful and she's very unquestionably white right she is somebody who is yeah. whose image is a useful vessel for this kind of uh like racist gendered aspiration yeah yeah and she started voicing very tentatively her kind of blandly liberal political commitments specifically to reject that, right? Right. So in 2018, she endorsed a challenger to Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn. The challenger's challenge went absolutely nowhere. (laughs) So the Taylor Swift endorsement didn't really do him much good. But uh, she reasoned in this endorsement announcement that she... Mm 
wanted to endorse a Democrat both because of her support for abortion rights and her support for the Violence Against Women Act, right? So, you know, I am a Democrat for uh, sort of like predictably standard issue feminist commitments, right? For the absolute basics. Yeah. (laughs) I do not, in fact, think of myself and people like me as objects. So I have taken the bold step of arranging my politics to reflect that basic belief. Right, which is like probably kind of a little infuriating for the like alt-right fear that needs her to act as an object, not just like an object of sexual desire, but an object of this sort of like racially gendered aspiration, right? The things that they want white women to be, the things that they imagine white women will give them in this like sort of racially stratified future, the things that they imagine white women can aspire to be, right? So this was a rejection of that. And she subsequently endorsed Joe Biden in 2020. So this sort of churn of alt-right, anti-Swift hate gets exacerbated the last weekend in January. And there are a couple of things that happened the last weekend in January. This is the 27th and 28th. One, the NFL playoffs happen in which the Kansas City Chiefs, including tight end and famous boyfriend Travis Kelsey, advance to the Super Bowl. So they will be playing in the Super Bowl on February 11th. Against the 49ers, by the way. I had no idea. I had no idea 49ers. that San Francisco's football team was in the playoffs until I got woken up by fireworks. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, yeah. do we see, Do we have I a know. football team here? <laughs> um, well, they, they play in Santa Clara, right? So um, we get the public urination and the parade. But we don't actually like, get the traffic. Maybe not even um, the parade. We get the public urination, yeah. They're going to lose because this was the exact same Super Bowl that was in 2020. 2020 Super Bowl was also the Chiefs versus the 49ers, uh, and the Chiefs won. And I'm pretty uh, sure they're going to win again because they are a stronger team. Well, because because George Soros is launching a deep space conspiracy. Yes, the Kelsey, the you know Swelsey <laughs> uh, conspiracy, and so I guess. We're now wait. Are, is the far right now rooting for, for San Francisco? I know San the, Francisco Forty Nine. The far right has a choice between fellas. Is it gay to root for San Francisco? They have a choice between like a team from Missouri with a racist name or the San Francisco Forty Nineers. Yeah, so yeah. that was sort of one item that maybe like ticked towards this explosion of ire, right? Is that this high profile woman is probably going to be physically present and probably getting a lot of attention at the Super Bowl wherein she will distract from this like, you know, virility, violence, masculinity festival that it normally is, right? Not to be like too reductive about it. Yeah, but I mean, like, I'm sorry, of all the football games in the world, the Super Bowl is really more about the Hyundai ads, (laughs) the halftime show, and the celebrities. Like, that is like a very non-purist, right? I mean, like, I feel like it's, it's, you know, if you're just going to watch some football, like, the Super Bowl has far less than the FDA-approved amount of football in it. It's a lot of other horse shit. It's like crypto ads. Like, there's probably more crypto ads in the Super Bowl, or were until recently, then there's like actual like moving the line of scrimmage, is there? For me, the Super Bowl is really about fried foods. Eating fried foods uh. in the apartment of your friend's boyfriend <laughs> at a yeah. party where they've got the projector playing the game. Like that is what the Super Bowl is about to me. Yeah, yeah. And I think I'm going to do that. It's going to be really fun. I'll let you know how that, like yeah, I'll, I'm going to spend I, a I lot know. of time thinking about seven layer dip. But that was one thing, right? Like she's advancing to the Super right. Bowl. Oh no. Yeah. Those of us who like have this like weird resentment that are like, you know, weekly masculinity ritual is now dominated by like cuts to this very like high achieving, high status woman who we resent because we can't have her, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one thing, right? Another thing that happened is that the New York Times broke a story that same weekend that the Chiefs advanced that said that the reported that the Biden campaign is once again seeking Taylor Swift's endorsement. I have some suggestions for other things the Biden campaign could be sending its time doing, but this is something that they are spending time doing is courting Taylor Swift. So that was another one. And then there was reporting from Rolling Stone that Donald Trump is personally kind of annoyed at how much media attention Taylor Swift is getting that I suppose he thinks should go to him instead. 
that says he said that you know i am more popular than she is you know she's stupid whatever right so donald trump personally dis- dislikes her biden is seeking her endorsement and she's going to the super bowl we should say for our listeners who might have any doubt taylor swift is much much more right popular than donald trump a, a recent survey i think that was taken last year and found that a majority of american adults including both Men and women, and including both Democrats and Republicans, identify as Taylor Swift fans. Something like forty-four percent of American adults identify as Swifties, which strikes me as something that like implies a degree of commitment. Yeah, there's just there's just no. I like her, but I would not call myself a Swiftie. So I'm not even in those forty-four percent. And I like her more than Donald Trump. (laughs) I mean, also we don't have to like guess around for this. Biden is seeking her endorsement because she's more popular than Joe Biden. And you know, if you're looking for people who are famously less popular than Joe Biden, we have a pretty good poll from 2020 that suggests it's Donald Trump. He's less popular than Joe Biden by a couple of million votes. So that sort of leads to this explosion, right? There's this confluence of factors in the last weekend of January that puts this crucible of right-wing rage and focuses it onto Taylor Swift. Uh And I think this is really interesting because... It shows a few things, right? One is it's sort of part and parcel of this broad 2024 strategy of the Republican Party. That's not just like an ideological shift that's come like into greater focus over like the past 10 years for them, but it's really like quite explicitly a strategy, which is that they are trying to drum up male voters with misogynist resentment. Right. This was something that was said uh, on television by Matt Gates the other day, who said that, you know, every time we lose a Karen, we gain a Jose and Jamal, right? Like sort of articulating in very vulgar terms, this Republican Party strategy to compensate for the white women who are there are losing after jobs by courting men of color, particularly black and Latino men. It's not really working, but it is an explicit gender grievance strategy that they are pitching. Right. Yeah. And it, it comes on the heels of like a lot of anger at the success of post Dobbs abortion mobilization by Democrats, right? Yeah. I think like don't hold me to this because it's the kind of thing where like I will look like I get a cream pie to the face. But I think that in November we might see white women finally flip to the Democratic Party. Hmm. That's a trend that's been happening very slowly for a very long time. But I think Dobbs might accelerate it in a way that, you know, the Republican Party doesn't quite have a contingency plan for besides, you know, like yeah. repealing the 19th Amendment. So they are really leaning hard into misogyny as electoral strategy, both because they're embittered by the women who are abandoning them and their agenda, and also because they think that it is something that they can affirmatively use to attract more male voters. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it helps them, I guess, that just by happenstance, the the many court cases currently tripping up Donald Trump are disproportionately, right? Like have, I mean, sometimes they tend to move women into these kinds of positions in order to hate on them, right? Like they they will like pick the woman in the group, but like that doesn't just seem to be the case. It it is run by, you know, there are a disproportionate number of female prosecutors involved, right? Like E. Jean Carroll just keeps taking him to the cleaners every couple of months, it seems like. So he is literally getting his clock cleaned by women right now. And like, and I can imagine that his fans like have responses to that too. Yeah. You know, there is a degree to which, you know, the legal house of cards under Trump is starting to fall down. Right. So you alluded to the sexual abuse and defamation damages that were awarded to Trump right before the NFL finals, uh, awarded against Trump, uh, to E. Jean Carroll, his rape accuser, who says that, and a, you know, a jury agreed with her that he attacked and sexually assaulted her in a department store dressing room in 1996. She was awarded, I believe, $83.8 million by a jury in New York. You know, there are male judges like Judge Kaplan in New York who presided over both the E. Jean Carroll uh, case and one of uh, Trump's civil fraud cases. But, you know, he's being prosecuted by Letitia James, the attorney general of New York. He is being prosecuted by Fonnie Willis, the uh, district attorney in Atlanta, who uh, the right wing has launched like a quite gendered attack on uh, in response to, uh, you know, allegations about her sex life. And Donald Trump is deciding, I think, partly out of strategy, but also just partly out of necessity 
to make courtroom antics a cornerstone of his campaign, right? right. So in the E. Jean Carroll defamation damages hearing, he was speaking over Eugene Carroll's lawyers. The two who were doing their presentation were both women. He was speaking over Eugene Carroll while she was testifying on the stand. He was, you know, sort of storming out theatrically. And then there was also a sort of like weird, like sexuality contest about the lawyers where Trump fans oh. were like posting this bikini picture of his lawyer, Alina Haba, who's a like, a millennial lawyer, right wing woman who owns a bikini and looks great in it, you know, and and like that was kind of a, another. Um, this is like, like the Johnny Depp thing all over again, right? Like he has a he has of, the prettier attorney. Yeah, he's like there. Oh, I'm you know my proxy in court is actually this woman who can be objectified to serve as a symbol of my virility, right? And then he's also doing these like domination exercises in the courtroom. So that's like a gendered element to his sort of like campaign strategy. And, you know, I think they're they're really leaning into it on both sides, right? They're leaning into it in terms of like the affirmative demonstration of Donald Trump's masculinity and the sort of negative harnessing of resentment against like right, women right. in the public sphere. They're doing kind of both sides. So that's one like sort of bucket of the reason for this Taylor Swift weirdness, right? Is that... Donald Trump has basically a campaign message that is all about these demonstrations of masculine dominance. And that's been more or less his like implicit message. And he just makes it really explicit. Like, I feel like he's going to take his dick out. I mean, he's, that, that's not a prediction. But, you know, like metaphorically speaking, that's kind of what he's doing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. The other bucket is that the right wing has really weird media incentives right now where to a degree what's happened, the, the right wing media is much better funded, right? Like sort of nonpartisan and left wing media is completely collapsing and falling apart. They've right. been this like massacres of layoffs every quarter for a few years now. And over the past like a couple of weeks, it's been, it's been particularly brutal. And that doesn't happen in right wing media, right? Like their money keeps coming because they're, right. they've got these deep pocketed and funders who are, you know, investing in this ideological dissemination. But what they do have in right wing media, in places like Fox News, even like the Wall Street Journal, they've got this like weird new competition from these upstart, even fringier outlets, places like OANN, places like Newsmax that are even crazier. And then they've got competition from the like vast landscape of independent cranks on YouTube, on Substack, right. on their podcasts. So they are like incentivized, the Fox Newses of the world, the Jesse Waters of the world are incentivized to keep saying crazier and crazier shit so that they don't lose their audience to these even crazier fringe outlets. That's kind of a media incentive that is going against the political incentives of the Republican Party, right? Which like needs to win an election and can't be too out there. But to keep the right wing media's viewership in line, they need to be pretty out there so that they can like maintain those eyeballs. So that's like a conflict, right? Because the other thing that we should say is that this is like very weird and putting people off. Most people are like pro Taylor Swift. I think most people have like, you know, pretty good feelings about Travis Kelsey, like sort of role he plays in the Taylor Swift side presentation of their relationship, which is the kind that's like being presented to me as a millennial woman, is that he's like her kind of dumb, adoring boyfriend. He's like, he's big, he's stupid, he's like good looking, and he's sort of like mentally gentle to her in this way that like doesn't challenge her domination in the outside world, but is kind of like wholesome, right? Yeah. Um, so like his persona and hers are both like so rigorously unoffensive. It's like being against like literally like the football player and the cheerleader or like, you know, Mickey Mouse or like, you know, a teddy bear and a Barbie doll. Well, it, it reflects two things, right? Like on the one hand, Taylor Swift's identification with, let's say, Biden and liberal causes is that like part of what this reflects is that like what has become the mainstream of 
that party and what's become the mainstream of that movement is just a bunch of freaks, right? That like most Americans don't recognize themselves in that. And like, like the number of celebrities that will sign on to them is like, it's basically Roseanne Barr. Like you're, you know, you're yeah. like, sorry, mate. Like you're kind of stuck with her yeah. now. Like you're not going to get like this night millennial, nice millennial lady being like, yeah, take away my rights. And like, also like Jews are controlling the money supply, right? Like they're not going to do that. Yeah. It's like, you know, like back when it was like, oh, lower taxes, like fiscal responsibility. I could imagine a celebrity being like, I don't have any problem being associated with this. But like people are like, no, I'm not, I'm sorry. Like you shoot up pizza parlors because of some cockamamie theory. Like why? Like it's it's just like you you will have less, you have fewer and fewer celebrities basically. And that's kind of what they're reacting to that. Like everyone they see on TV is basically like, you guys are kind of wild. You guys, you guys are kind of bizarre because like, spoiler alert, you're kind of bizarre, right? They're getting too weird. There used to be this meme on the internet that was like, don't say what you really think because you're scaring the hoes hose which is like not a phrase i use but um it's what i keep thinking of is like they can't yeah. help themselves yeah and they're scaring the normies they're scaring the yeah. people who should be their constituency and this is something you can see a little bit in some like mainstream republican or like what counts for mainstream republican like frustrations with the anti-taylor swift turn so like ross Douthat, front of the pod had a like very funny and very revealing tweet and then a column that he wrote about his tweet which is basically like you know it doesn't matter that these people are liberals i should i should mention also that uh travis kelsey is i think he's like pretty apolitical but he did take the vaccine and was public about having take the vaccine and did like a commercial for pfizer about like you guys should all go get take the vaccine and blah blah yeah. blah so like they don't they also don't like him personally for that yeah, but see that's that's exactly it right like <laughs> If preventable disease, if disease yeah. prevention <laughs> is like makes you one of the enemies, like yeah, you gotta have most of the enemies, bro. Like that's like you're you're out there, you're out there. But Ross Duthat's point was like these are just because these people are like maybe personally liberal doesn't mean that conservatives should reject the quote unquote primal archetype, right? And the quote unquote primal archetype is big, strong, masculine man, white, white woman. He's like, what we need them to do is marry and breed. <sighs> and I think that brings us to the third bucket of Taylor Swift anxiety, which like is... too old to have kids, isn't it? She's 34. Like, that's So that's something that they bring up a lot. They're like, so when Taylor Swift turned 30, there was a lot of like right wing, like speculation about the declining quality of her eggs, her remaining eggs, uh, and how, you know, um, like these guys cannot be normal. And, 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 you know, this is, I think it's been like a slow burn on the creepy Taylor Swift resentment by the right wing incel brigade for a while. Right. So this is another thing that I think is really cr like frustrating them about Taylor Swift is because she is an avatar of millennial womanhood, right? She is like the most famous millennial there is. She is famously unmarried and she doesn't have any children. And this right. resentment is coming at a time when the right wing is really starting to freak out after this post-pandemic reckoning with, you know, the failures of marriage and its overburdening on, on women and mothers, yeah. this post-Dobbs reckoning with just how invasive and exhausting and uncomfortable and dangerous pregnancy really is. And, you know, this economy that has allowed a lot of women to be independent so that they can right. choose to opt out of marriage and motherhood, these things that they are increasingly seeing as unappealing, right? Yeah, yeah. Plus, there might be some anxieties there about, I don't know, about uh, how there might be a, uh, I'm, I'm just spitballing about like a replacement of people <laughs> having children with other people having children who they have less good associations with. I mean, like who who could possibly say whether that's the background for, for any of these columns? Yeah, like Taylor Swift and the section of millennials who are most interested and willing and interested, willing, and able to like avoid marriage and motherhood right. are white. You know, this yeah. is like a yeah. white middle class phenomenon. Yeah, exactly. Not exclusively, but you know, in large part. And those are the those are the women who, you know, the Ross Do thoughts of the world really want to breed. Yeah. And so there's been this kind of anxiety that the right has about the family, right? 
there's been a lot of like sort of structural contradictions in the family, in the family form, in the marriage model that have been exposed like really vividly over the past like five years and that have failed to persuade the women who can no longer be forced, right? And that is, I think, what Taylor Swift represents, like the possibility to opt out. So even as she is, frankly, opting in, like this is a person who, you know, we could talk about the Gaylers, but I think she's about as heterosexual as anybody has ever been. I think she's like maybe our like avatar of heterosexuality, right? Right. She's no she's no case to. No, um, she is somebody who is uh, like not tr- like positioning herself as opposed to these structures, right? But they see her as somebody who could reject them who could reject the family life, the gender role model that they are proposing. Yes, the queerness of spinsterdom, right? right? Like there's a, there are women who are not queer-coded, but they become queer with time because they opt out of the maturation process that compulsory heterosexuality is supposed to set you on. And, right, like... It's like these cool aunts you have, like where you're not sure, like, are they doing it? Or is it just like they no longer need men, right? And like, she's, I guess, at 34, Jesus Christ, for them, she's on their way to that. Yeah. Um, and so this also brings me to something that I wanted to talk to you about, which is that a few of these guys have been like, look, Taylor Swift, I'm going to try and find the tweet because it's oh, is this so the, weird. Is this that, that weird podcaster, Owen Benjamin? Owen Benjamin, I guess. I have that here. He's like, yeah, you read yes. it. So Owen Benjamin, for context, is he's about exactly my age, it turns out, almost. A sort of podcaster, stand-up comedian in the loosest sense of the word, and kind of a, also, is he O-N-N-N already? What is he? No, he's a... I think he's like on on the Daily Wire or something like that. He ha- he has some kind of like he's a all right guy. Okay. So anyway, so here he is. This tweet is from January thirtieth, twenty twenty four. Has one point one million views because fuck you, Elon. Excellent. Yeah. And then it's a big picture of Taylor Swift in lighting that I'm guessing is supposed to be unflattering. She looks amazing. <laughs> I guess it's like, it's kind of sharp. So like, you can see that, like, I don't know, her skin does that thing that skin does under like very strong lighting. And then it says 34 years. Like, you know. Again, oh, you like, know what he did? He Googled Taylor Swift age. Oh. And that oh, was Jesus what, Christ. and that is a screenshot from what came up when he did it. Oh my God. So, so it says, why would a rich, famous guy marry a 34 year old woman? <laughs> That's already good. If you started immediately, you might be able to have two kids. And she's publicly had sex with a ton of guys. Okay, this is the sort of low-value stuff, isn't it? Despite her wealth, she's very low quality. Oh, there it is. Low quality for any successful male. Just seems weird and almost like he's a gay guy. Why would a successful man want a middle-aged woman who's always on tour? Is it, could it be, because he's gay? I mean... Fellas. I, I mean, <laughs> this is when it showed up on my radar. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Why is it awesome? Tell me about it. So, because it's just like, it's this form of communic- of political communication from these hyper-masculine, and this is a big alt-right thing, right? Like, partly because it's all through YouTube and through all these channels where, they're, where their audience, frankly, hasn't had a whole lot of sex. Yeah. Where they, like, twist themselves into these weird pretzels where suddenly it's like, isn't sex with women kind of gay? And you're like okay, like, say more about that, right? Like, so that's beautiful. And then this whole, like, weird kind of low value system, it really kind of, it becomes this. I mean, like, what's scary is that apparently a lot of young men are going in for this, right? And especially, you know, the teens and whatever, like, that is scary, like the Andrew Tate disciples, et cetera, et cetera. But like, it is on the face of it absurd, right? Because it's like, this value system, by any val- measure of any value system, Taylor Swift is a bit of a catch for just about any person on this planet, you may need to recalibrate your your value system if being with her is somehow like suspect, right? It's a little bit like, you know, you're marrying, you know, the Queen of England and people are like, feels like a step down. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to have more castles than I did before, right? Like it's just, uh, it shows like how these kind of online swamps create these kind of systems that are internally kind of consistent right like they are like a lot of the creeps and weirdos we've been reading right like Weininger does this kind of thing Nietzsche can sound like this Schopenhauer certainly sounds like this right he's like that's the wrong hip size right you know, who the fuck made Arthur Schopenhauer boss right and like decided what the hip size had to be right like the skull measurers the you know the Evo psych guys the Dilbert dude right like it's got this sort of 
sheen of scientificity, but it only barely covers that what it is is like absolute pure and unalloyed lunacy, right? Yeah. I'm glad you bring up the this like lineage intellectually of how these guys are getting to this idea that fellas is a gay to have sex with Taylor Swift because from my lineage from like a radical feminist perspective, right? We're like un- I'm decoding a lot of masculinities like trump masculinities right and 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 to his you know i guess credit maybe or at least it's notable that trump himself is not the mouthpiece (laughs) of this it's you know people who are taking cues from what he's doing in private uh, or maybe trying to impress him but you know it's not trump going in for this but i decode trump like masculine sexuality as being kind of like boorish libertine sexuality wherein masculinity is proved via the sexual domination of women right their domination their humiliation is what makes me a man and that's kind of what you see if you're like taking as i often do the sort of like andrea dworkin approach to coding like men's behavior and it won't lead you astray that that often right but it cannot lead you to fellas is a gay to have sex with taylor swift that's this other more like fascist intellectual lineage that understands sex with women not as something by which men can like sort of dominate, control, humiliate women, and thereby prove themselves as men, it almost like proceeds from a fear of women and a fear of contamination by women, yeah. right? Like content, like proximity yeah. to women, even in this like masculine coded activity of fucking them can be seen as like implicating you. But that's Because right, you might have to cuddle <laughs> afterwards. You might have to like have conversations. You might watch a Taylor Swift concert with her. Um, yeah. And I mean, like the other thing, of course, is this is a form of controlling women of systematization, right? To sort of say, oh, I understand women better than they could ever understand themselves, right? I can like, right, that this, wasn't it this weird like sort of Stacy system among the incels and whatever, right? Like there's this kind of, this kind of absolute need to like over-theorize, right? Like the thing that the, you can't do is like ask a woman what she might do or want. Like you need to be the expert for them, right? Like, like the pickup artists are all about this, right? Like it's, Basically, for I think for a lot of pickup artists, it would be kind of gay to have a woman be like, hey, you're actually kind of interesting. I'm going to go home with you, right? It's like, no, you have to trick her, right? Like, even if she might go, might be like, hey, you're not that bad looking. And honestly, I'm, I wouldn't mind. But like, no, no, no. Like, you have to work your system to like pick them up, right? Like, it seems to me it's about kind of projecting knowledge onto women and, and sort of imagining domination that way, right? Because it's often like behavior that like, if experienced IRL will lead to the absolute absence of sex, right? With anyone, but like the most delusional, desperate or misinformed. And famously, like these are not spaces. Like they're all like, why were women data? It's like, I don't know, man. Like, like check out anything you've ever said, tweeted or written, right? Like that would give you a first 5 million clues, right? But like, so there is this kind of like control through knowledge right which is which is also like a super old misogynistic trope right like it's men's job to understand women better than they understand themselves but here it becomes almost this like kabbalistic thing right where it's like the system where you're like i'm sorry so like what are we doing here like it's very obscure right and it's it's a line of thought whereby like frankly rape becomes not just acceptable but kind of the only acceptable <laughs> way to have right. sex right? right there cannot be mutuality yeah of desire and i wonder if there's something about like being seen by women and interpreted by women that is anathema here because like this is like you mentioned earlier this is like a a subset of viewership these like sort of online right-wing misogynist communities that are producing these kinds of like discourses and lines of thought they're not people who seem to know a ton of women right so maybe they're mothers you know they're not people right. who seem to be like dating very much and there's something about the idea of a woman like assessing them at all regardless of what she what she finds when she makes that assessment that right. is like communicating with other women about you also uh famously something they don't like ask me how i know nope. <laughs> um but you know it's a uh it's a fear of being seen right which of course like women yeah. sort of like also struggle with we have to sort of like reconcile yeah ourselves to the system of being surveilled and yeah. assessed like very early but like now this is something where 
you know, economic conditions have made it so that like men might also have to subject themselves to like a desiring and assessing gaze. And that's like something they're really not fans of. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we've gotten really into the weeds about Taylor Swift. Do you have any final thoughts or closing arguments? Yeah, I mean, I, I thank you for taking me down this rabbit hole because I, I did see sort of like some of the highlights of this discourse. I'm like, what is happening right now? It's so fascinating to to think about. It is an interesting snapshot of masculinity here in the sense that like this kind of conspiratorial, conspira- you know, you and I, I think uh, as gender scholars tend to think that patriarchy has really strong reserves of support in the population. And you and I got to hang out with uh, uh, Professor Anita Hill last week, right? Like the recalcitrance, the ability of patriarchy to strike back is really just like this constant. But then I think one sometimes forgets that like, while there is a kind of patriarchy that can sort of camouflage itself as just quote unquote common sense as like, you know, the way of things have always been as tradition, there is always also this kind of whacked out like prong of it, where it's just like, I'm sorry, what? Right? Like uh, that just kind of, you know, it's sort of perfectly teetering between the demonic and the absolutely hilarious. And I I, I hope I didn't make too light of this. Like this is, these are troubling people. Like uh, it's definitely not a surprise that like, this is basically a retread of like our 2016, 2017. I mean, the fact that you mentioned the word normies, right? Like it's a word I haven't heard for a while, but like it was everywhere with that Angela Nagel book, like in 2016, 17, right? Like Jack Prosobiec, I hadn't thought about it since like 2017. Like I'm surprised Milo hasn't come out of the woodwork yet, right? Like didn't like, didn't Tommy Loren do something about yeah, this? Like, Loren, like, yeah. it's like, it was like a total, like, it was a total reunion of like the, this kind of bullshit from like 2016, 17. It, it has conduits. It has ways of persisting. And one place I do think it persists very strongly is TikTok, is YouTube. We're at Clayman now sort of going through a bunch of stuff, as you know, oh, yeah. a bunch of videos about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. And like a whole lot of that shit is basically sort of skull measuring to McGee, yeah. right? Like where it's like, you know, like you can see her eyes are going there or she, she's looking like that, right? Like, and it's this like physiognomy that like, you know, sort of was briefly popular among the alt-right and then kind of people just kind of forgot about. But like these things have a nasty way of persisting in our online spaces, right? Especially, as you say, because of these perverse incentives for the media ecosystem, right? That like, if it's not outre enough for TikTok, you can put it on your YouTube channel or whatever and monetize it there. And like, it's just waiting there for the underinformed, the bored or the terminally adolescent uh, to discover it and, and turn it into their life philosophy. Yeah, I think... I think might be one, I mean, this might be a optimistic note to end on is that I think one reason that the right might be so weird is that, you know, they do rely on, as you said, it's like an internally consistent, but kind of hermetically sealed, like logical worldview yeah. that needs to be continually reanimated with these like minor outrage cycles, right? And that this is getting yeah. weirder and more alienating and also kind of repetitive at the same time, I think it indicates that they're kind of running out of juice. Repetitive and arcane, right? Like we have not spoken since, you know, Meatball Ron himself uh, suspended his presidential campaign, uh, RIP Meatball Ron. But Ron DeSantis' campaign like had a terminal case of being too online, right? Like he was always name checking whatever he saw on X, whatever he saw on in the conservative echo chamber. And like, it turns out even Republican primary voters, right? Who, you know, no offense, are probably, you know, among the freakier people in this country, right? Like, we're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, this feels like work. Like, I need to, like, how much do I need to know in order to understand what this is a reference to, right? He'd have these, like, jokes where it's like, I'd, like, end up going down, like, 20-minute Google and Wikipedia, like, holes and be like, I think this is what this is about, right? Like, and, like, it, it would be these, like, grievances from, like, 2016 where, like, like an ad featured a like trans person in yeah. the background or whatever. And like, it's just, you know, you're like, what the fuck? Like who has time for all this shit? And like, I think people just like bounce off of it. Cause they're like, I mean, I, I feel vaguely mad about what you're telling me, but I don't understand what, what I'm actually yelling about. Yeah. I think this brings us nicely maybe to a place to land, which is what I was saying earlier that the right wing is kind of stealing the left's bit. <laughs> this is a point that um, right. John Gans made in his newsletter. The writer John Gans really, I mean, a smart guy. Uh, and he was like, listen, esoteric decoding 
of mass culture that other people sort of like anodynely accept and the finding of like obscure nefarious meanings in it. He's like, no, 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 that's our thing. <laughs> that's a left wing pursuit. Right, right. Um, and this is why I'm like, you know, I did put on my tinfoil hat with you a little bit talking about, you know, dominance versus like almost separatist masculinities here. But yeah. this is stuff that most people are just kind of enjoying. Most people are like, yeah. well, you know, Taylor Swift is pretty and her songs are catchy and Travis Kelsey right. runs fast and he seems to like her. And isn't that lovely? And you know what you yeah. get? Sometimes you got to be normal. Um, so I want to congratulate yeah. uh, anybody who made it to the end of this episode. You are definitely the most normal of them all, <laughs> our beloved listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the one man who listens to this podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> and Adrian, thank you for coming along on this journey with me. Thank you so much. In Bed with the Right, would like to thank the Michelle R. Clayman Institute for Gender Research for generous support. Jennifer Portillo for setting up our studio. Our theme music is by Katie Lyle. Our producer is Megan Kalfas. 